Good morning. Uh, the first scripture today is going to be um, from Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19, and that's on page, it's on page 2. <laughs> Looking for the page number. Um, okay, so... Be, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken and for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Um, the second reading is from Ecclesiastes 2, and it's verses 17 through 23, uh, which is on page 540. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair for over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Carrie. Let's just pause and ask for God's help as we dive into this today. Father, open our ears, open our hearts. Help us to see what you want us to see. Help us to find hope and encouragement in the midst of uh, a world where work is toil. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in our third week of this Faith and Work series, and after this week, we're going to push pause. Um, and this week is not, not an easy subject. The first 80% of the sermon may be a bit depressing to you, so there's fair warning. But we're not going to end on a depressing note, I promise. I want to begin by asking you what makes your work difficult. Think specifically about what makes your daily work difficult. Um, maybe it's a particular person who comes into mind who is hard to deal with. Maybe it's a sense of boredom or monotony in your work. Maybe it's just the, the emotional draining nature of your work. Maybe it's the fact that your take-home pay is depressingly small. 
Um, maybe it's simply the aches and pains in your body that make your daily routines and work hard to do. It's all fine and good to talk about how our work matters and how we have calling from God as we've been doing the last two weeks, but sometimes our daily reality tells a different story. Work is hard. Work can be toilsome. The Bible uses this word toil, which means exhausting, difficult labor. And sometimes it even means labor that is pointless or vain or empty. Scripture gives us a very clear reason why this is the case. The answer, the short answer is sin. You know that God created a good world and work itself was good, but then humans rebelled against God and unleashed a new power at work in the world called sin, the consequences of which is death. When you think about it, there are whole entire industries and sectors of our economy devoted to trying to mitigate the effects of sin and death. One author named Daniel Doriani writes this, that um, without sin and death, surgeons, soldiers, policemen, insurance agents, counselors, exterminators, dentists, and prison guards would all be unnecessary, right? You could add to that list. That's not to say those jobs mean less because it's still important work in this world. But no matter what your vocation, you are up against these powers of sin and death. And that can make your work feel toilsome, like a losing battle. So today I want to just take a hard look at three specific ways from these passages that our work is toilsome. Three ways. Um, now, even in this first part that's kind of depressing, I think there's something oddly encouraging about having our struggles seen and named. So maybe you'll take comfort in that. But much better, as Christians, we have reason to know that our labor is not in vain. Our labor is not in vain. So here's the first reason. Um, the first reason is the ground resists our work. Ground zero for how work became toilsome is Genesis 3, where um, God issues a curse on creation and on work because of Adam and Eve's sin. So we heard what was read to Adam. God said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat f food from it all the days of your life. It, the ground, will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. What is God saying here? What does it mean that the ground is cursed? By the way, I said a few weeks ago mistakenly that God cursed Adam and Eve, and that's not true. He cursed the ground, and he cursed their labor. Something has happened to creation itself, and now the world does not cooperate with our labor. It fights back at us. If you're a farmer, you know exactly what that means. You try to grow one thing, and you get weeds, and pests come, and drought comes, and 
It's hard. Growing food is hard and painful and toilsome. Um, we've been reading the Little House on the Prairie books with our kids. And it, it's about this family um, trying to carve out an existence on the American frontier in, the, I think, the 1890s. You're probably familiar with it. It's amazing to me how much work it takes for them to just survive. Pa is always working. Ma is always cooking. The kids are helping. In one, in one book, they finally um, they build a home. Um, I think it's a log cabin or it's a, a dugout shelter in a riverbank. And they go to all the work of setting up this homestead and of plowing a field and planting um, some crops. Is it corn? Wheat? Meg's my fact checker here. And they finally sit back and sigh a, a sigh of relief and say, now we can rest because we have food growing and we're going to be okay. And then one day when the plants are just so high, they see a dark cloud on the horizon and it comes closer and closer. And then they notice grasshoppers everywhere, everywhere, covering their whole field. And they notice there's holes with eggs and there's thousands of holes, and each hole has dozens of eggs in it. And they know they, they cannot hope for any food from that harvest. So they have to start all over again. You see, we are in a battle with creation itself in our labor. That's part of the curse. And we can only eke out a survival through blood, sweat, and tears. Now, does this apply to you if you're not a farmer? You bet it does. All of our work, all of our labor is a way of trying to survive, trying to put food on the table. And that process can be backbreaking. Some of you work long hours on your feet. Some of you have thrown out your backs, lifting patients. Some of you have just been up against the pressures of time and deadlines. Some of you, maybe mothers, have given your bodies to your children. In fact, that was God's curse on Eve, that her, the process of childbearing and childrearing would take a huge toll. You see, we're in a battle with creation. The ground itself resists our work. Number one. Now, if that were the only thing against us, it might be okay. Because we could, you know, work together and um, make it happen. But here's the next problem. The next problem is that sin infects our work. We see that in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve's decision to disobey God welcomed the power of sin into the world. And so their relationship with God was broken. Their relationship with each other was broken. There are two sons. One ends up killing the other. There's this new power of sin. Um, and so today, sin is at work in every worker, every worker takes his or her sin to work, including the one you see in the mirror, right? And that wreaks havoc on our workplaces and on our work itself. I posed a question this week on Facebook. What is one of the main challenges or difficulties you face in your work? Here were some of the answers. Striving to keep positive and Christ-centered when there is so much negativity. One woman said, bureaucracy 
and people in positions of power making decisions without taking the time and being receptive to input from those who really know what the impact will be. It's a product of sin. Uh, someone else said dealing positively with negative people. Someone else said unrealistic pressure from departments, uh, from department and, and confusion, frustration with people's lack of care or integrity and its ripple effects. Someone else said bosses who think they know what's going on but in reality don't. Right? Pride. Someone else just said people. We could go on all morning. You know, all the ways that sin shows up at work. Laziness, bitterness, pride, ego, abuse of power, sexual harassment, gossip, blame shifting, dishonesty, fraud, addictions, anger, you name it. All those sins are on our, come into our workplaces. But did you know that sin is not just an individual thing? The power of sin can become embedded into systems and institutions. You know, if you read ahead in Genesis, you get to Genesis 11, which tells the story of the Tower of Babel. A sinful human humanity, it says the entire human population at that time, decided to get together and start this huge construction project to make a name for themselves in direct opposition to God's command to spread out and multiply and fill the earth. That is a way that sin, the whole project was, was bound up with and driven by sin. And we see this today in corporations where, where profit becomes the bottom line. The sin of greed infects the whole system. And so then people cut corners and managers treat employees uh, in dehumanizing ways. And people falsify reports. You just read the news headlines. Or think about the economic forces in our economy that make the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Or that make it so so many people have to work in dehumanizing, monotonous jobs because the system is not set up to give people meaningful work of their hands. Sin infects all of our work. So, the next time you deal with sin in the workplace, I oddly, I want you to be encouraged that it's not just you. It's not just your office or your workplace. This happens everywhere. This is one of the things we're up against. So number two is sin infects our work. Number three is probably the biggest obstacle or the, the biggest uh, shadow looming over all our work, which can seem to make it pointless. And that's death. Death swallows all of our work. God's words to Adam in Genesis 3 conclude with this pronouncement. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. God is saying, remember God created Adam from the dust of the ground. And God is saying, okay, if you want to live without me as your God, 
This is what it means. You will return to dust, to the ground. You will die. And all of that after a whole life of just trying to stay alive. Death still comes. And that is true not just of individuals, but whole civilizations. Entire nations and civilizations will be swallowed up by death, will collapse and decay. All human work and activity is like a sandcastle on the beach that will be swept away by the tide. Does that bother you? Doesn't that make work seem a little bit pointless? Why are we around here rearranging chairs on the Titanic down here? Right? The writer of the book of Ecclesiastes was deeply bothered by this idea, this truth. If you have read the Ecclesiastes, it's a pretty depressing book. Because it's sort of a meditation on the fact that no matter what we do, we're all going to die. And so our work ultimately means nothing. Our wisdom ultimately means nothing. Our pleasure ultimately means nothing. You heard what was read in chapter 217. He says, I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind chasing after the wind how can you what happens if you chase the wind you're not going to catch anything doesn't that describe the way a lot of people go about their careers just striving and chasing after that thing which they'll never reach in verse 22 he asks what do people get what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun It's a rhetorical question. Answer, nada, nothing. What do they get? They're still going to die. After anxiously trying to get by to put food on the table, to save enough, to save enough for retirement, whatever it is, death still comes. And it swallows up all of our work, all of our accomplishments, all of our money, everything. When I walk through the cemetery across the street, <clears throat> sometimes I read the names and the dates on the headstones. And I try to imagine what kinds of lives these people lived. I'm, I'm, you know, people are buried there who were mothers and fathers and carpenters and pastors, engineers, army or war heroes. But all that's left now is just this headstone with their name on it. And within a hundred years, all of us will be in the same place. Death swallows up our work, turns us all to dust. Listen, I am not telling you this to try to make you depressed. But I am telling you this because we cannot hear the good news without understanding the bad news. What Jesus offers us, and specifically what he, what he offers to our work, will not be appreciated by us until we see the mess that we're in and the hopelessness of a world without Christ. 
of a world where work is ultimately meaningless. <clears throat> if you are a Christian, faith is not just a way to make you feel better about your work. It's actually a way to work in defiance against death and against sin and against the curse. You can know that your labor is not in vain. And here's why. I'm going to go to a passage that was not read, but so clearly gives us the answer. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul's great exposition of the meaning of Jesus' resurrection for us. And <clears throat> he spends paragraph after paragraph unpacking the truth that Jesus rose from the dead and what that means for us. He teaches that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then the writer of Ecclesiastes was absolutely right. Everything is meaningless. Everything, uh, nothing matters. Everything is in vain. Because if death truly is the end, it erases, it swallows up all of our achievements, all of our hope, everything. But, Paul says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He actually rose again. And Paul calls him the first fruits of a new harvest, like a preview of a new world that is to come in his resurrected body. Paul writes that in this new world, we will be able to say, quote, death has been swallowed up in victory. Death has been swallowed up in victory. But what is so interesting to me is the application that Paul gives at the end of this chapter. After 57 verses of unpacking the glories of the resurrection and the world to come, here's what he says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He applies it to our work. I want you to hear that with your name attached. Your labor is not in vain. Your work may be hard or toilsome or boring or feel pointless, but it is not in, ba in vain. You work for a resurrected Lord. You may ask, what could my work possibly be accomplishing for Jesus? I'm not a missionary. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a, uh, a theologian. Well, do you know that Paul was not writing to missionaries and pastors in this chapter? He was writing to ordinary people, to merchants and slaves and um, housewives and government officials and doctors and sailors and carpenters who were Christians. And he was saying, your work, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Because when you follow Jesus, all of your work is attached and done for the one who rose from the dead and who is bringing a new creation where death is undone, where the curse is no more, where sin is eradicated. If Jesus were not alive, it would be vain. It would be like reorganizing chairs on the deck of the Titanic. But Jesus is alive. I want to close with an illustration 
um, from J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, he was the writer of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I'm sure some of you have read that or seen the movies. He also wrote a short story called Leaf by Niggle. Leaf by Niggle. Um, Niggle is a painter, and he envisions this beautiful masterpiece. He sets up this huge canvas in his house, and he starts work on his masterpiece. But as soon as he picks up his brush, the, there's a knock on the door, and a neighbor needs something. So he puts his brush down. He helps his neighbor. Every time he tries to work, he can only get a tiny bit done because of interruptions and illnesses and other commitments and his own internal struggles. And he knows that someday soon he will have to go on a long journey, which is a symbol for death. And so he feels like he just can't do what he what he wants to do. He, his work is not amounting to anything. After a long time, all he has completed is one leaf on one tree on this huge canvas. And he thinks, I just wasted the end of my life. Well, eventually he gets sick because he's out in the rain helping someone and he dies. In the book, he, in the story, he goes on his long journey, which is a symbol for death. And when he arrives in the new creation, there he sees a tree, beautiful with leaves, and behind it, a mountain landscape, just like the one he had been imagining. And there on that tree is his leaf that he spent so long and labored so hard and could you know, could never do more than that. And it says, leaf by niggle. His work that he thought was, was futile and, and was so interrupted and affected by the realities of the world is now eternally on display and part of the new creation. And friends, I don't understand how it all works. I don't know how God is going to redeem our meetings and phone calls and loads of laundry and hammer hammer and nail you know nails pounded um, fields plowed lessons planned and taught I don't know how he's going to incorporate that into the new creation but he will and our labor in him is not in vain let's pray Lord Jesus <coughs> thank you that you have defeated death and that our labor in you has eternal significance. Anything that brings anything done in obedience to you that brings glory to you is redeemed. And so please bring to mind now the specific ways that each of us needs to hear this truth today. I pray for those today who feel especially discouraged or worn down in their work. Lord, lift them up. I pray for those who work as if they are chasing the wind, striving after things that crumble. Help them to instead work for you. I pray for those who look back and wonder what their work meant. Maybe those who are, re who are retired. I pray that you would 